Jay Crawford, Adam the Bull, Garrett Bush, and so many big names, it would take me hours to say all of their names. Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. Booyah. Happy Tuesday. McNuggetson is in the house. Feels good. Hair combed, looking good. Showered this morning. Showered. Brushed well, his teeth. The showered other. this month. It's actually the first shower I took all year, to be honest. Like, 2023 was the year of the no shower. Let it grow. All natural. But, you know, today, shaved, showered. I mean, you look 12. <laughs> when you clean up and you have no facial hair, literally... You look like you're ready for your eighth grade picture, okay. which is a compliment. I'm not, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. True story. I went out Friday night, and they had a, a gym mixer. For the gym I go to, they had some people out. Everyone got a free drink. You got carded. Well, I get carded everywhere I go. That's, that's a guarantee. <laughs> but I met, you know, you see people at the gym. You don't talk to them. You see them outside. And there's this one girl who I, I see there all the time. She always says hi, like just real quick, friendly. She's like, how old are you? Like, I can't tell if you're 14 or if you're like 35. I'm like. Yeah, it depends if I shave that day. So it goes right back to what you said, Jay. Is that be... like a subtle hit? No. The dude she was with is pretty pretty huge. Like, yeah. you got to just take your losses when you know it's a loss. But, <laughs> you know. In th- 20 years, he's going to look great. Let me tell you. So this is a true story. When I was graduating from college, mm-hmm. I, was, I looked younger than you. I really did. And I am, I, tw- for the record, I'm 29. So I hope at 22, stunning. you looked younger than me at 29. I probably... I didn't look 29 when I was 29. I, I, I'll tell you that. But I remember when I was sending demo tapes out in mass. A demo tape is your reel, essentially yeah. your work. You're trying to get a job. I, had, I always used to follow them up with a call because they'd never call me back because uh-huh. I was horrible. I, I had no business getting a job. But I called one of the news directors back, and I can't remember what market it was. But he literally said, I asked at the end of it, you know, was there any particular reason I didn't get the job? And he said, yeah, to be perfectly honest, I have a son who's a senior in high school, and you look like you could be a freshman at his school. <laughs> wow. And it, like, it was a real body blow, and I said, But so, you have to take it, though. You have to take yeah. the L. There's nothing. I can't look older, so I said, do you have any recommendations? And he laughed. Come on in. Uh, I've been informed by Director Steve you need a booster. <laughs> Good play, Steve. Good play, Steve. This is, uh, this is a tease for tom- This is the earliest we ever teased overtime because this is tomorrow's overtime. I promise you. Jason saw it this morning. Jason, no spoilers. Tomorrow's overtime is worth the 59 whatever you'll pay for an entire year in one overtime. I promise wow, you. I don't even know what this it's is. It's amazing. No, and you can't know till tomorrow when it happens. It's, it, but it ties into this. No, it has nothing, it's, it's about Director Steve. That's oh, all, wow. That's all okay. I'm saying. Uh, Steve, do I actually need this? No, right? Yeah, get it out. I it's <laughs> funny that you had to ask. Well, I'm just as tall as Jason. I know, right? Just as tall as I can't Anyhow, see him, though. This news I can't director see him. He might need it. said, look, I, I mean this in, in, the, in the best way possible, but you're asking, so I'll tell you. What's my recommendation? Start smoking and drinking heavily. <laughs> I got told the exact same thing. Probably by the same I, news director. I got to, <laughs> So, as you can imagine, this is 29. At 21, 22, I looked like I was four. Essentially. <laughs> and my voice was super... so bad. <laughs> my voice was super squeaky. And someone told me, they go, do you smoke? I had my first cigar in my life on Saturday, by the way. No so, kidding. Like, I don't smoke, like, at all. They go, well, you now you smoked one more cigar than I have. And they go, you should pick it up. It'll make your voice sound better. And yeah. I didn't. And so that's Mikey, why, that's why I'm here now. and I have one thing in common. We've both been told to take up smoking. Yes. That's incredible. Yes. I did not, by the way. N- neither um, did I. It took me a while to, to get going. Do they tell writers anything like that? No, writers already drink heavily. Like they don't, you, don't, you don't need to tell <laughs> they them. They come into the interview yeah. with a fifth and a smoke. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Covering LeBron for four years, age me 20. It was like the president. <laughs> oh. I will say, you guys can... Not you specifically, but that group. I've tried to run with them before. It is hard to keep up <laughs> because that's their lifestyle. They're on the road a lot more than the TV yeah. guys. Even when I was traveling a lot at ESPN, the radio guys live out of hotels and suitcases and airplanes. Yeah. And it was amazing how hard they go. <laughs> Four o'clock in the morning, still go. Yeah. If, the, if the lobby bar, which is the hangout, if the lobby bar closes at 2.30, Parties always go into a scribe's room. Always. You can book it. I've only heard one story from Jason about that gang when they were on the road a lot, and I'm not going to say who. You actually may have told the story on air. I'm not going to say it, but the one person who tried to hang with them, 
was puking out of the Uber driving back. Yes. So I've yes. I'm just going to leave yeah. it at that. Do you have a clean or, or an on-air version of one of your favorite stories you can tell? That one. <laughs> Go ahead. That one. I have heard that one. And I'll, I'll, I'll use names. I don't think you'll be oh, upset. Well, we're going to get him on the show. So like, All right. We can, it, so yeah. we can talk. So Hayden Grove from Cleveland.com. <laughs> Bless his heart. He, <laughs> Who, by the way, I really like Hayden's a man. Me and him become pretty good friends. Hayden's a good dude. Hayden does a really good job. Hayden's a good dude. I, he's committed. He was singing at that mixer I was telling you about. Yeah. I walked in and I hear like oh, he's Sinatra amazing. singing. And he's I'm like, incredible. Yeah. That's Hayden. I, I saw him singing, at yeah. the Christmas tree lighting in, in like, Crocker. It, at Crocker. Yeah. He's really good. And my son-in-law was, he, my son-in-law is the seven o'clock anchor at channel eight. And he was kind of emceeing the festivities. And when we got there, I heard someone sing. I'm like, who is it? That's pretty good. It was Hayden. Yeah. And yeah. I'd never heard him sing before. Well, Hayden, forgive me if you didn't want me to tell the story, <laughs> but we're telling the story. So the year of the championship, 2016, yeah. we're in Detroit. And Hayden had made some sort of flippant comment about, oh, I can drink. Like, I can, I can hang with you men. And we're like, Uh-oh. okay, we're going to find out. So we went to some bar in, uh, in Detroit. And we were actually in Birmingham because they stay so far north. Right. And the Indians actually were staying there, too. So a couple of the Indians support staff were out at this place. And by the end of the night, I'll get to the end. By the end of the night, Hayden was curled up on the sidewalk outside. In a fetal? In a fetal. (laughs) And big dude, too. And I was like, hey, let's 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 line him up. And the guy with the Indians like, you going to go get your boy? I'm like, he's fine. Like, (laughs) he's fine. Leave him out there. He's fine. Someone will pick him up. So we get the Uber on the way back and it's me. Dave McMenamin, Lee Jenkins from Sports oh Illustrated at the God. time, and Hayden. What a squad. And That's a veteran squad. That's a squad. Right and Hayden is in the front seat. Me, Dave, and Lee are in the back. And Hayden's up against the window, and all you hear is, puke, puke. <laughs> so the Uber driver pulls over, and Lee Jenkins in the back is going, oh, my God. Who brought this kid? Who is this? And, and for like the next day, we didn't see Hayden like at all yeah, the next day. And then he didn't even know Lee Did was he in the Did he open the door? And he- oh, yeah, he opened the door. And so then, so then <laughs> Dave starts cleaning the door and he's going like, I, I'm getting, I can't pay the 200, I don't want to pay the $200 fee. So he's cleaning like the door frame oh with napkins and then he runs out of napkins and I'm like, Dave, you're out of napkins. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could do that. There's certain levels I'll go to for friends. That's not one of them. <laughs> I'm not cleaning up at, their at that point, Hayden paid, the yeah, Hayden's paying the $200 fine. And, I know he's a kid. And but. it wasn't even really that bad. <laughs> no, had God. Nobody paid the fine. But Hayden, poor Hayden, uh, well, was Hayden indoctrinated. Hayden is not here to defend himself today. <laughs> Hayden, will listen, be. I've been talking to Hayden. He's going to come on sometime soon. Good. Make sure Good. I'm on. Yeah, well, wait, yeah make sure Dave. <laughs> I think we should, we should drink while he's on. Well, we've done it before. Yeah. 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 Next time the Quell's in town, we'll make sure Jason's shot and Hayden, and we'll see if Hayden can handle one. And I want to hear his version of the story. I've heard what he remembers. Yeah, the part that he remembers. <laughs> His version's exactly like that. <laughs> but uh, with a lot less detail. <laughs> welcome to the Eligible Cleveland Sports <coughs> Show. Uh, obviously, Adam the Bull not here today. He'll be back tomorrow. He's back tomorrow. G. Bush will also be. Did I get a text that G was so, going to be here today? G was supposed to. Originally, G's dealing with the death in the family. So, G, we're sending you our thoughts and prayers. And hopefully, that's all Absolutely. going smoothly. He uh, was supposed to be off till Wednesday. Texted us last night saying, hey, I'm back in. And then this morning, texted us that his wife needed one more day. So, okay. he stay with his wife. Okay. Well, that, he's where he needs to be for yeah. sure. Um, I know it's got to be a really, really difficult time for his wife and for him. And, uh, gee, our, our thoughts and prayers are with you, brother. Um, and we'll see you when you get back. Take, take whatever you need. Um, busy show. Aditi's coming on. Yep. We have a surprise for her. I don't want to say anything else. Surprise we have a surprise for, for her. Correct. We're going to talk about LeBron in the GOAT conversation. Um, it's one that we haven't really delved too deeply into. I think a lot of folks just automatically assume, well, MJ was six for six, so no. Um, but they're, it, it, he's about to become the all-time leading scorer in the sport. So we're going to visit that. And Teresa Walker is the AP beat writer for the Titans. She has been for a long time. Like 33, going on 34 years. She's the years. Mary Kay of Nashville. Exactly. And she's going to be along to give us a little more insight on Jim Schwartz. Everything we've heard about Jim it, from players, from media, Everything we've heard is this guy is the guy. that They got the bullseye with him. Um, Teresa Walker's covered him in two different stints. I believe she, she was there definitely mm-hmm. for his 10 years mm-hmm. when he was, uh, I DC. think, D.C. for yep. eight, eight years and yep. a position coach for two. And then now in this most recent stint where he's kind of a special defensive uh, advisor. coach. Yeah, advisor. Advisor. It was well, like, I think you, you've explained it best. It was one of those things where they wanted his input. They wanted. They probably wanted to name him DC, but they didn't want to step on toes. 
Um, so he was there in an advisory role, but certainly Teresa knows him well. She'll be able to give us insight. That's coming up a little bit later, but that's where we're going to start with the Browns and Kevin Stefanski, because I think the general consensus is with the arc going down each of his three years here, and he started as coach of the year, making the playoffs, and then he's down now to seven wins. I think the question is, and we all know this is a, a make it year for him. Like if, yeah. if things don't go well for Kevin, this is likely his last year with the Browns. What is that bar in your guy's mind? What does he have to achieve? Does he have to get a wild card spot? Does he have to win the division? What is it for you? Is is there even a defined achievement it's, he has to hit? It's so hard to sit here and say you have to hit this because we have no idea our injury is going to play a role. Is anyone going to get hurt of significance? Uh, that obviously changes the scope of things. Listen, if he starts 0-5, he's out. Like, can we agree on that? Like, Mid-season, you yeah. think they would pull Yeah, it like if they get off to a terrible start, if they lose their first four or five games or something like that, he's out. Yeah. Short Especially of the- what happened this year in in, uh, in Jacksonville. Or, not, wait, not Jacksonville, in um, Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. With, Typically, it tends to be a white flag move when you fire the coach early in the season. Yeah. But they turned things around and damn near got in. And Matt Rule, being at that game, that first game, I left Carolina shaking my head going, this guy's a terrible NFL coach. Right. Like, it was just evident. Some as of the, good as he was in the college ranks. Oh, but the, he just some of the game management decisions that they made with penalties and clock, and I just didn't understand. I yeah. thought, man, this guy's terrible. So, I mean, the Browns could conceivably try to salvage the season even. Well, at one and four, sure. one and five. Yeah, it's I a mean, long shot. I, I think like, it would have to be a really, really, really bad start. But you know, zero and five could get it done. I'm just, I'm just throwing a number out there. Right. But it, it's sort of like you know the Supreme Court's definition of porn. You know it when you see it, right? right? Like it's hard to sit here and put a number <laughs> on it of like if he has to be this because it, it, it's a sliding scale that changes week to week. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone there wants obviously to make any sort of drastic changes. They want this to work. They're going to give them every opportunity for it to work. I think ownership's going to give them every... Remember, we say all the time that the Haslam's have a quick trigger, and they do. Like, they make emotional, reactionary decisions. I've talked to people who worked in the building who said, I had a glowing review, and two weeks later, I got fired with no explanation. Like, that's just the way it operates there. However, they also gave Hugh Jackson an extension after 1-31. and So they try and make it work. Like, they want it to work. The fact that you would extend him after one and thirty-one is kind of insane, but it also tells you like they really don't want to make changes and they want it to work. So they want to give Kevin every opportunity (laughs) to make it work. Didn't they at one point have something like four head coaches on payroll? That would someone at ESPN told me that that with the overlap of all of the different regimes, that they were paying four head coaches at the same time. Uh, that might have been before I started really getting invested in the Browns. I, I would say this was likely around 14 or 15 I mean, when I was told this. So it was Chud only was there for a year. He was definitely paid for a while. So Petten uh, was somewhere around there. I don't know the chronological order. Yeah, of it all. I don't even remember. That's when either. I was in the NBA world. But I, I mean, I rem- the person that told me was an NFL reporter for ESPN. Yeah. He knew. Yeah. He knew the financials of the, of the contracts, the structures. And he told me, he goes, you know, I know this will make you feel real good, but your team's paying four head coaches. That's incredible. Three of which they fired. That's, that's incredible. That's tough look. It's, it, well, it tells you how bad the decision-making has been. Yes. And also to the quick trigger. Point. And that also, if you're talking 14-15, that was early in the Haslam reign. Right. Like they would have just gotten – Because they've he's had it for 10 years. Like okay. this is the 10th year. They've, had, they've owned the team for 10 years. So I think early on, they really didn't know what they were doing. They, they said as much. I've talked about it on the show. Right. They said, we didn't know what we were doing. We thought this was easy being in Pittsburgh. So, I, and I think the longer that they've been here, they've tried not to make some of those emotional reactionary decisions. And they have gotten better in that. They in, want in it to vein. work. Yeah, they want it to work. Freddie was an absolute disaster. He had, it was, evident. I mean, I wrote after three games, this guy didn't know what he's doing. I wrote halfway through the year, he's got to be fired yeah. one year or not. So that was an absolute disaster. They were trusting Dorsey, and he led him astray on that. But for the most part, they've gotten to the point where they don't want to fire these people as quickly as they did early. So in their you don't regime. think it's necessarily let's let's say he does make it through the whole season. Is there a scenario you mentioned injuries where he they just miss the playoffs again and he still comes back? Yeah, there has. I mean, like let's say Watson plays seven games and has a high ankle sprain, misses five weeks, comes back. He's not the same player before. Right. If they looked good in those first six, seven games with him and then they kind of falter without him, and I don't think there's a way they bring Jacoby Brissett back. Whatever their backup quarterback situation is going to be is going to be a cheap 
either rookie contract or Kellen Mond. And with all due respect to Kellen Mond, who I covered at A&M, who I love, he'd be a great interview on the show, by the way. We've got to get, I'll, I'll get Kellen Mond on. All but right, great. He's not winning games in the NFL right now. With, no. With, even with the talent but around remember, him. Remember, if you, would have, if you would have asked at the beginning of this season about the situation in San Francisco, you would have said, well, gosh, well, God forbid they ever need right. to call on Brock that's, Purdy. That's very fair. That's so fair. We, don't, we don't really know. And, and Kevin, do, Kevin's great with quarterbacks. And I do think regardless of circumstance, it doesn't matter what the reasoning is. If this team fails to make the playoffs, I, I get very concerned at that point about Miles Garrett's mindset, Nick Chubb's mindset, right. these guys that – Watching their career take yes, away. Yeah. Yes, watching it just spiral the drain. I mean, we mentioned it yesterday on the show. In my opinion, there's three future Hall of Famers on this roster. And, I, you know, I mean, Joel Batonio – the, the haze in the barn at this point, he's already in his 30s. He's toward the end of his career. Yeah, he's almost rubber stamped. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. But the other two, you know, Miles and Nick have some productive years ahead of them. And I just yeah. wonder where their mindset will be if this team, for whatever reason, the reasons don't matter, if they miss yeah. the playoffs again next you know, year, where they would be. You, you t- uh, let's hope that, 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 that there's more playoff wins in the future for those three guys. But if you just take a look at the Joe Thomas – who played in zero playoff games. Yeah. If you look at Joe Thomas, Joel Batonio, Miles Garrett, and Nick Chubb, should all four of them play the rest of their careers, you know, here, the three, get into the Hall of Fame, to have four Hall of Famers on your roster in a 15-year span and win one playoff game? Unacceptable. That might be the biggest indictment of an organization Absolutely. ever. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and Earl, when he asks this question, he said AFC Championship game was the level that his That mind, was where his bar was and, set. And, and, I thought that was high, which is why I didn't ask it that way. No disrespect to you, but the question really was, do they have to make it to the AFC Championship game for Kevin Stefanski to keep his job? I think that's high. Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati. Yeah. That's, that's I mean, you if, think, if, you if, think you, better than if you two make of those the playoffs, win a wild card round, yeah. lose in the divisional round like they did in his first year, that's progress. Yeah. And I don't think there's any way they can fire him if they do that. I think Jason hit it on the, the head right there with the AFC Championship game part of this in particular. You have to be better to make the AFC Championship than two of either Cincinnati, Buffalo, or Kansas You definitely have to beat one of them. You definitely yeah, have to beat one have of them. To. You, can't you have to beat one. We have to be better you can't than get two to, the AFC to get there. Game. And you might, well, I guess you Kansas might have to City, beat two. Kansas City could get the buy Buffalo plays. You know, maybe I guess there's yeah, a but game. You have to be better one than of them before you get yes. to the championship game. And they have to be better in totality at that point of the season, then at least two of those three teams, because yeah. we're just penciling in one of those three. Who knows what happens next year? Like, Mahomes may never be the, like, I'm just saying. Right. But you have to be, in theory, better than two of those three teams, and I don't see in one offseason with all the holes currently on this Browns roster, them leapfrogging two of those three teams and to pencil them in a spot in the AFC Championship game. And so it would be the equivalent of where the Bills are right now. They didn't make the championship game. Right. Was their season a success? No. No. Because coming in, their goal was Super Bowl. Yes. And they had a team that was built to go there. I don't know that realistically, no matter what the Browns do in this offseason, anybody's going to be putting them in the Super Bowl next year. I don't know what moves they can make between now and September that any right-minded journalist, expert, could say, my pick in the AFC is the Browns. Like, that's just, there's too big a gap right, right now. Right. Can I try to defend it real quick? Go yeah. ahead. Sure. Please. I'm surprised that you didn't uh, agree with me, Jay. I thought you would actually be be leaning more towards me. So Stefanski has been here three years. Right. The very first season, the Browns made the playoffs, and they won a playoff game. Yeah. So you set the bar for the bare minimum year one. Since then, the Browns have not even made the playoffs. If you look at the 2023 season, the season after that, I think Nick Chubb will have one more year on this contract. Omari will have one more year on this contract. Miles is going to be getting older, et cetera. I'm looking at this situation to where you're paying Deshaun Watson $230 million. Right. You have your core players that's on the back end of their current contract deals that you have to get to at least that point to show that everything that Andrew Berry and Jimmy Haslam have invested in, that you can lead them to the Well, let me ask you this, Earl. Are they making that kind of a decision in Buffalo this morning? No, but they Sean McDermott it. have more of a proven track record than Kevin Stefanski does. That's true. That's However, considering where the Browns are coming from, they're coming from a 7-10. and 10. And I just think that I'm trying to be realistic. Listen, I'm a demanding fan. Hell, I don't want anything less than a Super Bowl, truth be told. 
But at the same time, I'm trying to figure out, is this the guy that's the right guy moving forward? And if he can show enough improvement from 7-10 and 10 to, say, 12-5, and 5, even 11-6, and 6, get in the playoffs, win a game, that's my kind of bare minimum. I think you have to get in the playoffs and beat a team. I do. He did that in year one, coming from nowhere. So I want to see them do that now. And if they don't, it's going to be a disappointment for me. Ultimately, the question Jimmy has to answer is, are we going in the right direction? And clearly, if they turn things around enough where they're plus four in the wins, that's that's pretty significant. To your point, Buffalo hasn't made the conference championship game but once. One time. One time. With this regime. Which and they've got of, talent. Yeah, they've got a ton of talent. They've missed the – they haven't even made it to the title game, right. AFC title game, the last two years. So it's it's hard to even get to that point. You know, we look at 2020 and go, man, the Browns were just a couple plays away from the AFC title game. And they were. And they were. And that's true. But that doesn't necessarily guarantee you're going to replicate that success. I'm glad you said that because one of the points I wanted to get to in this conversation is that success and failure year to year doesn't slingshot you into the same predicament the next year. Especially in the NFL. Especially, probably more so in the NFL. Than any sport. Agreed. Remember at the beginning of this season where Jacksonville was. Absolutely. And I know they won a, a bad division. But guys, they came within a whisker of beating... The team That's why I said they the were the favorite. Browns of 2020. They were the Browns of 2020. So Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to duplicate that success next year. And if you, for a second, ride into 2023 training camp, Jacksonville, and think we're on our high horse, right. we got it done in 22, now we take the next step, it doesn't go that way. So And, and, and conversely, the other way, just because you were 7-10, and 10, how many times have we te- seen teams finish 4 or 5 under 500 in the next year they're a contender. Well, every, every year, there's a last place team in the NFL that miraculously turns around, makes the playoffs. Worst of Jackson, first. Jacksonville was this year. Yep. And in football, more than any other sport. And the Rams were first. And, and the first to worst. worst. Yeah. But in football, more than any other sport, players can either fall off a cliff or accelerate faster. Yeah. In the NBA, like LeBron may have taken a step back as he gets older. He's still a top 10 player in the league. Sure. When guys get older, they don't usually go from very good to unplayable. Quickly in the NFL, we see it every year where guys go from "Hey, they were a key contributor on this team" to now we have a seventh-round rookie who's outperforming him for much cheaper. Which yeah, is it's easier cut. to age out for sure. And also in the NFL, the, the way the schedule sets up, if you're a last-place team, you play a last-place schedule, schedule the next right, year, which is going to benefit is a benefit. Them great. Absolutely. I keep looking at their schedule. I've looked at it three or four times. And you every said seventeen time, and zero, right? Well, <laughs> believe me, I'm not. I'm not G Bush. I'm not drinking <laughs> that kind of Kool-Aid. But when I look at the schedule, I. I have a huge smile on my allegedly. I have a huge smile on my face because there are a lot of teams that they will play next year that did not play in the playoffs this year. Can we make real quick? Can we go back for one sec? Can yeah. we make a prediction? What do you think G. Bush's 2023 Brown season prediction is going to be? I'm going 14. 15, and I'm going 15 and two. Well, it's going to change 17 times between now and <laughs> September. Yeah, because True. he is so <laughs> emotional. He calls himself the 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 Duke of uh, yeah. what is he? The, the Duke, Duke of Niger. Duke of Niger. 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 Yeah. <laughs> He, he really does, man. He is an emotional cat. That's how I was when I was, like, in my 20s and 30s with the Browns. Yeah. You know, the cycle of madness on Sunday you lose. Monday you hate the team. Tuesday you don't want to talk about it. Wednesday you're looking at the opponent. Thursday you're thinking they're not that good. Friday you're like, wow, we had a good week of practice. Saturday, like, we got this. Sunday yeah. you lose. Repeat. All over again. Wash, rinse, yeah. repeat. G brought that up before the season, that cycle, which I guess is more – built into Browns fans' DNA than oh, it is anywhere it really else. Is. I've been on any any sport. Yeah. Uh, I saw it firsthand this year. It, it's real. Like, that that cycle is Absolutely. Scary. As an yeah. outsider now witnessing one Brown season mm-hmm. up close, like, if you had to write a couple of paragraphs of the Browns football experience, how do you encapsulate what you just watched? Well, it's part of my stand-up routine, so I don't want to give it all away. <laughs> but <laughs> okay, it's, it's joyous pain. It's like when you enjoy inflicting self-pain. So it's almost like masochism. Is that what the word is? Yeah, I could have yeah. Right. yeah, masochism. Yeah. You know what's amazing is... That's well said, actually. Coming, from, I mean, the NBA is such a... It's such a social media-driven league, and there's so much zaniness and craziness that goes on in the NBA than any other sport. Yeah. When I came over to the Browns, and everyone's like, just wait, just wait. I'm like, man, come on. I had LeBron for four be, years. Yeah, right. There ain't nothing I ain't seen. And I sit here every week and go, oh, my God. 
God, they were right. Like, this is insane. Well, I, I tweeted out what a, after. What a pitiful place Brown's Twitter is. <laughs> it is. It will. You got to stay away from sharp objects when you go in there. I tweeted out. I forget what game it was after, but I was like, I'm, sh- I'm shocked anyone in Cleveland lives past the age of 50 with how much physical toll and emotional pain the Browns inflicted them week after week. And it was funny. Channel 19 ran it. They had no idea who I was. And I know people over there who, like, just like us, we can't run other stuff. They, like, don't want to run Channel 3 stuff. And it was the lead tweet on their sports show that oh. night, which was awesome because Mikey McNuggets doesn't scream I work at Channel 3. But, ha-ha, got you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks to suck, 19. But, uh, <laughs> but it, like, I give Browns fans the – and I'm, I'm, like, a half Browns fan now. Like, I – you know, I'm from New Jersey. You get invested semi, but when you're here. Anywhere you work, you want the team you cover yes. to win. It's so much more fun to cover a winning. Jason Otestis, anywhere he's been. When I was in Tennessee, I wanted the Titans to win. It was good for business. When I was in Texas, screw the Cowboys. Never wanted you to win. But <laughs> here, I want the Browns to win. Like, it's good for us if they win. Yes, and I feel the pain when they lose because then I have to come on and host a postgame show. And then I have G. Bush going crazy. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, if G. Bush is at that level, I can't be just calm. Like, I got to be invested. So I got invested. And then, yeah, the Browns hurt me, too. It sucks. So, G. Bush, get back to the original question. My guess would be he would guess like 10 and 7. I'm going to text him right now. I'll see if we get an answer by the end of the show. Right. I oh, would say he, 10 and 7. You'll get one by tomorrow. But, by tomorrow. By tomorrow. Really slow yeah. On yeah. Text. But by September, he'll be 15 and 2. 16 and 1, 15 <laughs> yeah. and 2. And then by it's week just going to ramp up. And then by week 3, he'll be 2 and 4. 13. 2 and 4. <laughs> I love his volatility. I love his emotion I, because I, that was me for so long. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, when I moved to Tampa um, to work at ABC there, uh, the Browns text, lost their team. Me. Just text Okay. The Browns they had no team. Yeah. So I wasn't, you know, I mean, I had one rooting interest for the years that the Browns were gone. Whoever the Ravens played. Yep. I was, I mean, they were my favorite team for three years. But when I worked in Tampa, you get to know the guys. They were great guys. They were all-time great defense. Tony Dungy was incredible. Treated the media. When he was fired, I've never seen this, and I wonder if you have. The day he was fired, he told the media relations guy for the Bucks, I want all the regulars, the main TV guys, all the beat writers, to come through my office one-on-one. I want to I want to thank them one-on-one. On one. No. Now, cool. the man had just been fired. He yeah. sat in his office. There was a line. It was almost. I felt like it was almost like a receiving line at a weight. Yeah. It was the most bizarre thing I'd ever. Here's some baked beans. (laughs) Sorry for your loss. (laughs) And one by one, each of us came through the office and we pulled the door shut behind us. And he, you know, he was like, you know, you've always treated me fairly. I want to thank you for all you've done. You know, I had done some work with his charity foundation, his family first foundation. So he and I had a pretty good relationship outside of the football piece. But to, for a coach to do that, yeah. it was unbelievable. So in those years where there was no Browns, I was like, hell, I mean, not that I root for anybody as a journalist, but it was fun to watch the team I covered win a Super Bowl sure. while I was covering. Yeah. It was a hell of a ride. Like yeah. you and 16 with the Cavs. Oh, yeah. It might be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. 100%. Yeah. So, and do, I can't imagine what that would be like because even though I covered a lot of the Cavs' playoff games in that 16 run, I wasn't covering the team. I wasn't, you know, a part of it. I can't even imagine what it would be like for a team to win a championship while I'm here in the media working actively while they won it. It would be mind-blowing. Flying home from San Francisco, I had this, like, just overwhelming feeling of, like, I just chronicled history. Right. For people who have bled bled and cried with these teams their entire lives. Yeah. And I was like standing there holding the champagne bottle. It was, it was just, it was, it's hard to describe now, but it was just wild. I know what you're saying because I was the Cleveland poster child at, at at ESPN. Anytime good or bad, something happened for Cleveland, get Jay on, get him on. And I had to be the mouthpiece, which first of all, I never liked to do because that's, Aside from the responsibility, you can't have one person speaking Speak for an for entire fan base. Right. And I kept telling my bosses that. I'm like, look, I can tell you what I'm feeling. I don't know what Fred, who was a steel worker through the 70s right. and down, I don't know what he's feeling. Right. My father's past. I could tell you maybe what he might be feeling. And that's fine. That's fine. Give us your emotions. And that's, that's a heady thing to do. And I remember before I went on the next morning, they wanted me on 
from the early morning shows on SportsCenter all the way through the afternoons at 2 when they signed off. Yeah. I did my live shots from outside um, Town Hall. Yeah. That was kind of yeah. our base for the playoffs. So I was there early in the morning, and I just remember it was 5, 6 a.m. when I got there, and our produ- my producer and photographer and I were there waiting for Town Hall folks to like get us set up. And it had been six hours from the title, and there were cars. Now, this is Ohio City. Yeah. Streaming by Town Hall, beeping their horn, yeah. waving flags, yeah. holding up headlines to newspapers. I had never seen anything like that before. So, and I, I was overwhelmed. I'm like, I'm not up to this task. When and real quick, I don't, I don't know if I talked about this on on the show or not. I may have. My dad was uh, admitted to the hospital. He was in the emergency room. I the, think you did. The tell morning us about I was that. supposed to fly and to he San told Francisco you to go. for Game Seven, and he said, "Go." I like, remember. This that. is your job. You're a father and a husband. You go. Like, yeah. that's what we do. We go to work. You go. And I walked out of his room going, is he going to die while I'm gone? Wow. And, and so I cover the game. And I'm not, like, I already spilled the tea on Hayden, so I'll spill it on myself. There was a little bathroom in Oracle Arena, aside, like, across from the Cavs locker room. And I went in there and cried after they won. And it wasn't that I was, like, a big Cavs fan, because this job beats the fan out of you. I don't care who wins It does. Yeah. It does. I root for paychecks and fast games. Like, yep. sorry, I do. <laughs> There's nothing better than a two-hour, 25-minute football Oh, yeah. Run the ball. When Jay says run the ball 20 times, yeah. I disagree with him every time, <laughs> except for the fact it gets the game over quicker. So I go in the bathroom, and I'm just crying because, like, my dad, and I'm thinking about that all these Now, was he okay? People. Did you know he was okay at that By point? By that point, no? I think he was, yeah, because he watched the game from home, actually. So they sent okay. him home. So he watched the game from home. But I thought about, like, just the region and these people that just lived and died and cried with these sports teams. And I thought about my dad. And I just broke down and started crying. Yeah. And I walked out of the bathroom, and, and Brian Winters was there. He's like, what's the matter with you? I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm fine. <laughs> like, leave me alone. And to this day, Brian I can just still, see Wendy going, what is oh, wrong with Brian you? Brian still gives me crap about that. He's like, oh, why does my bathroom cry after the Cavs won? I'm like, shut up, man. There's a lot more hey, to it than that. I'm not afraid <laughs> to admit that I cried. Um, I didn't – so – I was actually given the choice. Do you want to be in San Francisco or do you want to be in Cleveland? And I said, I want to be in Cleveland. I want to be there when they win it. Yeah. And my bosses laugh. They're like, it's so cute. He thinks they're going to win it. And I'm like, no, no, we're going to win it. Oh, yeah. And I want to be in Cleveland. And the day of the game, I don't know if you remember this, but you were in San Francisco. You probably don't. There was an Indians game. I think they were playing the White Sox, and it went into extra innings, and that was in the middle of their incredible winning streak. Yes. They won like 21 in a row or something. Yes. Or something and like I'm that. sitting with my old producer from Columbus and my son at the Indians game, and the whole time I've got this – and I, I, when you watch a game with me, you are on edge because I'm Mr. Pessimist. They're going to lose. They're going to lose. They're going to yeah, lose. Yeah. And the whole game, even when it was in extra innings, I'm like, we got this, we got this, and we got tonight. Yeah. I'm telling you, we yeah, got it. Yeah. And when we, I did a hit earlier from the sport from the Sports Center set between um, Jacobs Field and uh, or that Progressive Plaza, and, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And a fan had given me a replica of the Larry O'Brien Trophy, wow. and he said, "Here, take it." So I carried it with me all day. I used it on the air when I made my prediction for Game Seven. Yeah. I held that up, yeah. but I also took it into the baseball game with me, and I'm holding it up, and and they win. And I, I was telling everybody I'm with, I'm like, guys, we got this tonight. Yep. It's Father's Day. My dad's got this. Yep. We've got this. Yep. There are more dads in Cleveland that need this than dads in San Francisco. And when it happened, I cried. Yeah. I got I to make a top five list of places I wish I could have been for specific sports moments. Oh, and wow. somewhere in Cleveland, when the block happened, I don't, the shot or the block, well, one of those both two. Both of them were insane. Yeah. I would pay – I don't have any money, but I would pay all the <laughs> money that Jason has in his <laughs> bank account to go back. Are you kidding? You were not at his house for the House State Michigan party. That will change after having a super party at, at Jay's house. That will change after I go to see Jay's White House mansion in Chagrin Falls, which Chagrin oh, Falls stop. very nice town. But I'll put all Jay's money in a time machine project to go back to Map Room or any of the bars down, any sports bars oh. downtown to be there for game seven when the, the Cavs beat the Warriors. Yeah. It was it, it, nuts. It would be on my list without the, doubt. You weren't a fan, probably weren't. Well, you're an NBA fan. Oh, you I was watching the game. Did yeah, you yeah. see the commercial that they ran right after the Cavs won the championship? It gave me I chills. I, I remember listen, it. Yeah. I did not see it in the moment. I couldn't hear it in the moment. But they had big screens out in that plaza, mm-hmm. and I could see it, but I wasn't focused on it because there was so much else sure. going on. Yeah. What was uh, it? And I had Sports Center hits to think about too. It was Earl helped me. It was basically like us 
It was us. It was, that was exactly what it was. It was us. Was it a video of you crying when LeBron left the first we, time, Earl? See, we can't was it a Nike commercial? It was a Nike commercial. I've seen it after. It was a Nike commercial, and it was filmed in advance. And boy, I'll tell you, it's a good thing they won, because if it had leaked, it would have been one of the most epic fails of all time yeah. because it was clearly shot as if the Cavs were going to win. Right. They probably did one for Golden State, too. I'm, I'm sure they the did. Like, together? Together? It, I together? think that was it. Together. Together. And, it, and they showed people watching the game in their living rooms. I think it was all done in black and white. I'm getting goosebumps yeah. now thinking about it. You can find it on Tagboard. Well, I know together we don't one, the audio. I think the together one was when LeBron first returned his first game back. But wasn't that Nike theme carried through even when they won it? Maybe. I, I, I just, I just remember the overwhelming thought was us, and I couldn't hear it in the moment. I could see the images, yeah. and I was emotional. I was yeah. with my son. Um, everybody around us was crying. We were in the middle of thousands of people. They were cheering, going nuts. That grown men crying. Yeah. Um, when I finally did see the commercial the next day, the first time I saw it, they rolled it in on the air. I hadn't seen it yet, and I they not that they did it to get my reaction, but they did it during my hit. They said, you know, this is the spot that ran, and I'm watching it and I'm weeping because now I can hear it for the first time, yeah. and I don't think I've ever been moved by a commercial more than that one. When's the last time you've seen it? Probably that day. I don't think I've ever gone back Anthony's and looked at it. Anthony's working hard trying to get that a- uh, right Anthony, now. Anthony, make a note. Let's, let's start tomorrow's show with that commercial. Can you get well, – with, with, with the audio. No, no, we'll do it with the audio We're tomorrow. We're going to get AJ real quick, though, because oh, Jason and myself, we all kind of share that, that pain of not having our dads. My dad had his first heart attack the day after Father's Day in 2015. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so, of course, you know, he passed away in 2018 from right. a heart attack. 2016, we win the NBA Finals. I drive my truck. I get off right here at East Ninth. I'm stuck in traffic. You came down for it? I came down. So I you were the one truck. blocking up all the roads. <laughs> I leave my truck right there where it's at. I start running towards West Six. Wow. I'm just like super excited. I see they my dad. They stopped letting West... cars in after a yeah. while. I see my dad on West Six about an hour into it, and we just give each other this long embrace. Yep. And like I kind of feel solace that. He got to see it before he left this earth. All of us in here, we get to die champions. And I was worried. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, listen. Yeah. Um, I think I've told this story before. My dad saw the Indians win their last championship when he was nine years old. Yeah. And um, all I wanted was to share one with him. Yep. And his, you know, when, when he passed, he told me, you'll get to see one. Make sure you're with your son, no matter yeah. what's going on. And yep. I've told the story. Corey yeah. was in the two weeks between the NCAA championships and the Olympic trials training in New York and the trials were going to be in California. And he had just flown back from Oregon. And I didn't even, at first I wasn't even going to ask Corey, do you want to come in? But I remember my dad saying, whatever you're doing, it's not as important. And whatever your son Corey is doing, it's not as important. Make sure you're together. And in a way you'll share it with me. You'll understand what I would have felt as a father. So I, I, on a whim, I just texted him and I'm like, I know this is the busiest week of your life and I totally understand it, but I want to offer you a plane ticket if you want to come. And he's like, I'll book it now. Wow. And he was home within hours and we were together. And that's what made it so special to me. It was on Father's Day. Yep. Yeah. It was on Father's Day. You couldn't write a better script. No, I know. And there were, I had so many fathers coming up to me because I did an essay on the day of the game of what a championship would mean on this Father's Day. And a lot of folks had seen it, and they were stopping by that area. And by that night, a lot of folks had seen the essay on ESPN, and now they were up at the plaza. And when they were running into me, they said, I just want to let you know, um, I called my father. I haven't, one guy, I'll never forget this. He said, I hadn't spoken to my father in 10 years. Wow. And I saw your piece, and I called my father, and I said, I don't even know why we're not speaking but I apologize. I love you. That's and he told me about this awesome. incredible conversation he had. And I had so many people tell me that's what sports can do. Absolutely. People, people that don't understand sports, I feel sorry for them. They don't understand the power. People always say they're games. They don't mean a lot. Well, they are. And I've preached often, keep them in their proper perspective. Sure. But the power of what a championship team can do yeah. to a city, to a region, to families, it's unbelievable. Guys suck at communicating, right? And we I- are epically bad but I've heard from so many people who say I can't talk to my dad about anything I can't relate to my dad we don't agree on anything we don't see eye to eye but we have 
the Browns or we yep. have the Cavs or we have the Guardians. Like, that's our connection. And mm-hmm. I just think that's so cool. Yeah. And to your point about knowing it was going to happen, I remember t- I was talking to Kevin Love in the corner of the Cavs locker room when they were down 3-1, when they lost that game. And LeBron was furious about the officiating. He thought Steph should have fouled, ha- had a foul early in the game that would have changed the entire complexion of the game. He thought the refs blew one. And I was talking to Kevin, and I like, it's bleak. 3-1's bleak. He's like, yep. <laughs> yeah. And I said, and this is like the whole dream on, could he be suspended, could he not? And I said, if you can get five there, there's no way you're going to lose six at home. And he goes, no effing way. No way. And I said, and I'll take my chances with that mother bleeper in that corner. And LeBron was over there icing. I said, I'll take my chances with that mother effer over anyone in a game seven. And Kevin said, 100%. And I said, but you got to get five. I don't know how you get five. You have to figure out a way to get game five. And we all know Draymond, suspension, all that. They get five. <clears throat> when Steph threw his mouth guard at the end of six, and he hit – actually, I don't know if a lot of people know this. When he threw the mouth guard, he hit one of the minority owner's sons, the Cavs. I think it was uh, I think it was Nate Forbes' son he hit with the mouth guard. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. Because it was courtside seats. He threw it and hit him. Yeah, I, when, I knew he'd hit somebody. When he, hit the, when he threw his mouth guard, I said, the Cavs are winning this. The Warriors are unraveling. And I texted – Dave Griffin and a couple other people in the front office. And I said, be prepared. This is happening. You're winning this series. And they're wow. like, they're like, don't like, don't even. I'm like, Did the story I'm about telling the you money right now. And Ty Lue in the ceiling tiles. Is that true? Oh, yeah, that's 100% true. That For those that don't know it, you may not have heard it. It's one of my all time favorite yep. stories. So Ty got this from Doc and I, I don't want to mess this up. When he was in Boston, right? When, 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 when Ty and Doc were in Boston together, Doc hid money. They had a bad loss in L.A. And Doc hid money in the ceiling tile. No, no, no. This is during the regular season. Doc hid money in the ceiling at Staples Center and said, like, we're going to be back. Like, we're coming back. We're going to come back and and get this. And they did. And they they beat the Lakers and they won the championship. So when when the Cavs fell down – Ty hid money in Oracle Arena when they when they fell down three one. Well, the three one was, was at home. Okay, so so I think it was five. It must have been game five that he hid money and said we're coming back for seven. I, I'll I'll go. I put this in my book, but I don't remember it now. Game five was there. Game five was there. It was game five. It was after the game five loss. He, he collected put, was he took bucks? he took he took money. Yes, he took money from everyone in the room and said like hundred bucks or however much it was and some guys spotted some of the staffers and ball and you know equipment guys or whatever right. else and they put the money he put the money in the ceiling and said find it when we come back like when we come back you find it so he stole it from doc but that's 100 percent true that, I he's, love that he's, story. he hid money in the ceiling at Oracle Arena, knowing that they were coming back. And didn't LeBron have a funny line about he didn't get his $100 back? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. And and there was a bunch of, like, little lines like that. And someone else in the front office, uh, I think it was Trent Redden, said, like, when they fell down 3-1 and they had to fly out there. And he said, well, we got to fly home. We might as well make them come with us. Like, when we fly out there, we have to come home one way or the other. Right, right, right. We might as well make them come with us. And it was all all these little things but yeah, there, there's so many, there's so many stories about that in the game seven and Ty getting on LeBron at halftime at game seven and said, "We need more out of you. Like you're not giving us enough. We need more out of you." And LeBron was like furious with him. And Damon Jones like basically went to LeBron and said, "This is what you wanted. Like you wanted a coach who'd be hard on you. You wanted this is. moment. Here it is." And LeBron responded. They went to San Quentin and visited the prison. Uh, while they were out in, in San Francisco on one of those trips during that finals. Wow. The stories are endless. And the trophy, um, the, they had the, the, the 16 pieces of the trophy that shaped in the Larry O'Brien. Oh, that was another story. Yeah, that, that was I another forgot. one. And, and one I, I know piece that one. for yeah. each win. One piece for each. And nobody knew about it until it was over because they kicked everyone out, even like the in-house cameras they kicked out. So just the players yeah, and the coaching staff. Yeah, would put those pieces in. And, and then another one. What a great idea that is. Oh, yeah. It really tells you it's one step at a time. And then uh, Brock Aller, who doesn't work here anymore, he's with the Knicks now, but Brock was in the Cavs front office. He spent like $2,000 on cigars and something else, goggles and cigars, I think, prior to game seven. And I remember talking to him after the game. He's like, there's no way I could have expensed that if we lost. <laughs> <laughs> That's on him. 
That's on him. So there's just so many little nuggets like that and so many countless. I don't know how we got down this rabbit hole, but I'm glad we did. (laughs) I could talk about the Cavs championship. Can we go back one step to the Browns real quick while we're working on Aditi? Yeah. That's what I've been texting. Uh, Earl said AFC championship game. They've won one playoff game since 1989, I think. Or You're talking about the Browns. Yeah, the Browns. Yeah. They haven't been to an AFC Championship game since 1989, so to put that as the bar doing something you haven't done in 35 years. Yeah, that's the, very tough. Is the level I mean, of the reach. That is very fair, Earl. Very fair. If they but. make it to the AFC Championship game, he's getting a five-year extension. And a statue. I, I just think that I, I just – that is such a leap from where we sit today. Yeah. It, I'm emotional, Jay. I'm hurt. <laughs> I'm pissed off. I'm sorry, dog. I am. I'm sorry. Because you and I normally see eye to eye on these things. But I just, to, when you consider what's in this division right now and where we are today, mm-hmm. if you tell me 365 days from now we would be getting ready to play in the AFC Championship game, I, my first reaction will be lock them up. Lock them up. Because that's a hell of a job. All right, so, so let me ask you all this. Is it make the playoffs plus one win, or is it make the playoffs plus two wins? I think it's make the playoffs. Make the playoffs Just and win a game. Just make the playoffs. That rubber stamps it. I have to think long and hard about the situation if they make the playoffs and lose a game. Yeah. What happened? Were there injuries? Right. Was the game close? Was it the Chiefs? What, was it the Chiefs <laughs> yeah. or the Bengals or the Bills? I, I mean, everything will weigh into it, and I'm sure that, you know, when the, when the Haslam's when it comes time for them to make a decision, I hope they weigh all the all the pieces of information they have. You know what but. struck me to looking at the Browns' record was, and we've talked about this before. We've talked about this endless times. They were 7-10. Fall on the onside kick. Don't throw the pick against the Chargers. Everyone in the division has a winning record. Yeah. Like, just how remarkable that is that. Well, that would give the division 40 wins. Yeah. Which is yeah. 10 wins per team. Per team. That, I mean, you're talking about, I know everybody wants to point to the NFC East, but crying out loud if you have four teams in your division all win all 10 games did they have 39 did they have 38 38 so then the Bengals, two the Bengals didn't play a game too right and, so. b- and by the way the Browns are three and three in the division we've talked about that before they haven't won four games in the division since they came back that would have been if they beat the Steelers the last week of the season that have been the first time they had four division wins Insane. since they returned were they three in, three in 2020 they've when been they three and the three they've been three and three division every year under Kevin I believe I looked this up earlier. I'm trying to remember. I Which, think you know what is a 20, hell of an accomplishment. It, it really is in this division. In like, this division with this competition, and I know all divisional games are closely contested, but if you're beating Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cincinnati. You're basically splitting with all three teams. Why yeah. can't you do that and better against the rest of the league? And that's what's so frustrating about last year. When you look at the NFC South, they barely beat Carolina. They lost to Atlanta. They, they barely beat Tampa Bay, who was terrible that, regardless. That was and remarkable. they lost to the Saints in yeah. a game they, they should have won. Yeah, so they're 2-2 two and and they two against... And 0-4 against the East, which was good but not great as right, it turned out. Right, right. So. Let's bring in Aditi now. We've got the uh, technical glitch fixed. Aditi, we're kind of <laughs> trying to figure out. This is always dangerous to do, uh, but, it, you know, we have two-hour skill every day, so we, we have to do something. <laughs> we're trying to decide, like, what rubber stamps Kevin to come back after next season. What in your mind does this team have to accomplish to make sure that he's back? I mean, I think it's a playoff team. I think it needs to make the playoffs. But I also think that you look at Zach Taylor, everybody wanted to run him out of town. And there is something to be said for patience. It's hard because it's not a one size fits all, right? It's easy to sit here today on January, whatever it is, 24th, and say, okay, well, Kevin Stefanski should be able to lead this team into the playoffs next year. But what happens if Deshaun Watson gets hurt? What if Miles yeah. Garrett gets hurt? What if, you know, there, there are so many vagaries in what can happen in an NFL season that it's really hard to just say it's something as simple as a one-size-fits-all rubber stamp. Yeah. And I don't an mean to question. hedge. I'm just saying let's be realistic. No, I mean, you have every right to hedge. We made that exact point. We that's exactly that. what yeah. we said. Jason was like, well, look, what if, what if someone gets hurt? McNugget said, what about Watson? What if he plays half the season and misses? So I know that, they're, you know, in general – You'd like to think that this team is a playoff team. But to your point, not only were fans in Cincinnati over the last couple of years at certain points pointing to Taylor, wondering if he's the guy, Tomlin has had stretches in Pittsburgh where there were a good number of fans that wanted him run out. And the same can be said for John Harbaugh in Baltimore. 
Yeah, Jay, I mean, okay, first of all, John Harbaugh was almost essentially fired the year that You're he right. put Lamar yep. Jackson in. Steve Rashadi made right. no bones about the end of the previous year saying, well, this is basically it. And then the Ravens were sitting at what, four and seven. Joe Flacco's back can't go. He puts in Lamar Jackson, and all of a sudden, the man is coach of the year. So there's that. Even last year, when Zach Taylor takes the Bengals to the Super Bowl, there's all sorts of chatter about what kind of situational football coaching he is doing. So I think there's always questions about that. But Jason was just talking about the Cavs. And this is where sports writers sometimes see something from 20,000 feet that people that are inside the room never really consider. And that is the emotion, the ebb and the flow, the intangible to a team and what they're able to do. And what I mean by that is a week ago, I was in Buffalo watching the Bills against the Miami Dolphins. And I'm telling you, standing on that sideline, even though I felt the Bills would pull out that game, I told multiple t- people they're losing next week. And it had nothing to do with the way they're playing defense. It had nothing to do with whether they could or couldn't run the football. There's just a tightness there. There was just an exhaustion, an emotional, I don't know. It was something that probably a lot of people looking at the X's and O's aren't putting their finger on. But we're trained to sit here and look at pieces of the puzzle that are quite frankly, for lack of a better word, the intangible. So when you look at the Browns next year, are they fighting? Are they believing? Are they cohesive? Are they in every single game? Are they trying to gut it out at the end, even when they're down 14 points with two minutes left? Things like that. I think that that in some way is almost more important than anything else. If, if, there are these other factors like major injuries or things not necessarily falling their way. Is that team playing the way you want that team to play? And so when you bring up Mike Tomlin and the record and this, that, or the other, the thing with Mike Tomlin is that his team is always fighting. His team is always in the conversation. And sure, people in Pittsburgh should be a little bit tired of that because their standard is so high that what good is it to be in the conversation? But that's the mark of a coach who is reaching his players. That's the mark of a coach who's motivating his players and who's getting the most out of his players. So you want to be able to say that about Kevin Stefanski more than you want to say, okay, this (laughs) benchmark of you have to hit 12 wins. Here's where I get concerned. I agree with everything you just said. Here's where I get concerned. It doesn't matter. That rarely happens. (laughs) Oh, that always happens. But (laughs) it, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter the reasoning. If, if Deshaun, God forbid, blows out a knee and misses the year, if somebody has a devastating, the reasonings don't matter. If they miss the playoffs again, I'm concerned about where that puts Miles Garrett and Nick Chubb mentally and their desire to want to stay here. I just feel like this thing's teetering with some of their biggest names, and this could go to a really bad place if for whatever reason, the reasons don't matter. If this team fails to make the playoffs next year and fails to reach expectations, it's not even about the coach at that point. It's about the personnel. Do the players even want to still be here? Okay, but I would argue back. Well, then that just means they need to take more ownership. And I've heard that about, we've talked about both of these players. Both of these guys are generally quiet, lead by example people. Miles Garrett has been very honest this year that he felt there was more of an onus on him with Baker Mayfield and Jarvis Landry out. He made more of an effort to be around guys, to play I can't remember that four square, two square game to try to be more of a vocal leader, even Nick Chubb. I mean, it was Deshaun Watson telling me that Chubb is talking a little bit more in the huddle. Joel Batonio said Chubb is talking more. You have to be the change you want to see to some degree as well. And it's not enough to me. If you are a superstar player, if you are one of the elite players in the National Football League, I don't want to sit here and hear, I don't want to sit here and say, well, you know, I give up on this coaching staff or I give up on this group. You've got ownership too. And the best teams are really, truly player-led. So, Jason, there is a point there, sure, and you don't want to lose those players. But by the same token, well, you have power here too. And there are certain things that are in your control. And what is stopping you from going and sitting in Kevin Stefanski's office, closing the door, and saying, I think we need X, Y, and Z? Hmm. He's a guy who'll listen. He's a guy who wants to have that conversation. 
Adita, you were the Browns team photographer for a day this offseason, so I'm going to put you in their GM chair now for a day. You have one big free agency splash to make. Are you making it a defensive tackle, linebacker, or wide receiver? Uh, sorry, that's my little Browns fan. Don't ever apologize her. for that. Should we, yeah. should we ask her? Yeah, should I'd love we to ask, ask her. her. Yeah, what would please. you rather see, Kaya? Um, you know what? I, here's the thing. I think that the most ready position coming out of college is wide receiver. So I think it is easiest, and we've heard Andrew Barry talk about this, right? He's talked about the proliferation of seven-on-seven leagues, the pro-style offenses, what wide receivers are doing. You obviously choose the best available player in the draft, but I think that you are more likely to hit on an impactful wide receiver in the draft than you are perhaps to hit on an impactful player in those other two positions. I think defensive tackle, so everybody needs a really smart middle linebacker. Everybody needs somebody in the middle. That's where your defense goes, et cetera, et cetera. But you look at the division that the Browns are playing in. You look at how vital and important it is to stop the run and set the tone. Yep. I don't think you ignore the position of defensive tackle. I really just think that that's so desperate. And that was also, quite frankly, the biggest hole this year. It was an area where, and, and if you believe in your young talent, if you believe in your Perrion Winfrey's and et cetera, you still need that seasoned older guy in there to lead the way, to show how to be a professional, to teach. And this is, again, this is another one of those conversations that we just had. Didn't we just talk about this, that sometimes on your 53, you need a personality, that in a locker room, that locker room is an ecosystem, and that it's maybe not the fastest guy, the toughest guy, the strongest guy. It might be that 10-year vet who really helps build that ecosystem. And so I like the idea of getting a defensive tackle in free agency. Don't ask me who to go after because I have no idea right now. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, I think, though, that, Aditi, that's the $64,000 offseason question for this team because to your point, and we've seen this, from the, it's not that the Browns haven't drafted interior defensive linemen. It's the ones that they've drafted haven't made the impact that they were hoping they would make. Right. It's, it's sometimes it's, you're just better off going out and buying a, 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 known buying a known commodity. And even if you have to pay for it, and you will – I think that's what they're doing right now over in Berea. They're scouring the free agent wire. They're looking at who is available at that position because that is where they have to make the biggest splash. And I don't even think it's a question. I know wide receiver is an area of need and they have other areas of need. But to me, that is there are red lights flashing all over the interior of that defensive line and those have to be addressed. And to your point, that is sometimes a position that takes a little seasoning. So why not go and get a guy who's had demonstrated success already? You know, I was watching the Eagles this weekend, and they have a guy in the middle, Javon Hargrave. He was in Pittsburgh. He was not the same player in Pittsburgh. He was a young player that I thought had potential and talent, but Pittsburgh basically gave up on him, and he's become a star in Philadelphia, a star to some degree. But, you know, I mean, I just I think that that's where you go, and that's where you look, and maybe next week I'll have a list for you. Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that one right there. That's your homework for next Tuesday. Aditi, we do have a surprise for you today, though. Oh, boy. Do you remember, I would say it was, it was the day Jay got hit by the car. Jay, do you know how long ago that was? Um, oh, over a month. Over a month. So over a month ago, the day Jay got hit by a car, we had our artist in, Robert Conley, who painted the cool pictures of us that are sitting right there right now, yeah. who we're still working. By the way, Robert, Herbie's going to hang up things on the wall so we can hang these up. But someone had sent us a message saying, well, Aditi wasn't in that. We need to get a picture of Aditi. So, Aditi, this is from Eric Scheffler. I'll turn it around in a sec. He's from North Carolina. He's a daily watcher. He went to Glen Oak High School. He's originally from Canton. And he wanted our contributors to all have part of the love. So, Aditi, this is officially Steve. Wow. This is, uh, wow. This is from Eric Scheffler, <laughs> rockstarstudio.org. Um, that's Aditi in the middle. I think it's spot on. The Aditi is spot on. Aditi's Very spot on. good. Do I have dark circles under my eyes? Do I look tired? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, you know, don't blame the, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just the messenger. But that is. No, that's beautiful. That is Aditi's from Eric Scheffler. So it thank really you, Eric. is a good picture. It's Tim, Ka- I don't, which size is this, the he brown makes size? He look so- better than I look in real life. <laughs> we got, we got Tim Couch. his email address so I can thank him. I, I will absolutely send you his contact, but that's Tim, DeQuell, Leroy, 
Aditi, obviously, Maurice, and then Robert Smith. So these are all the UCSS contributors. And uh, shout Love out Love how I'm above everybody, right? I know. Like, yeah. You're the focus. You're the center. I am or the angel. You're the I center of all the attention. I should have sent a picture of me in a uniform, though. I've got <laughs> uniforms, too. I think that's great. I've never looked better than with that's this picture awesome. in front of my face. <laughs> you look older holding that picture up, Mike. <laughs> I finally Guys, might not get caught. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, yeah. Dean, we're going to hand this up. So this is going to cool. go in the, uh, the UCSS offices upstairs. Next time you come in, we'll get you maybe to sign Can't this or, or something. But, yeah. Shout out to all our contributors. Love Shout out it. to Eric for this wonderful piece of art. Eric, you are amazing. What talent. Yeah, it I'm is really. I'm so impressed. I, I'm always, yeah. I, I'm so impressed by people that can put a pen to canvas, or oh. a, a, a paintbrush to canvas and depict something. My like, birds I, are M's and my people are sticks. I do not have that. <laughs> Everything ability. I do looks like a muffin. Doesn't matter what it's supposed to be. It comes out looking like a muffin, so. <laughs> well, Aditi so does cool. not look like a muffin. She looks beautiful in that picture, no matter what you think. All right, I on that it's... note, I think I'll leave. Thanks, Aditi. <laughs> Aditi, Bye, thank you. We'll Thanks see you next week. Talk to you next week.